If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast all in one place. They have tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app on Apple or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part. Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. Along with my partner, Brian Siegler, I'm Curtis Wilson. Brian, how was your evening? Oh, man, not bad, actually. I, uh, I ate some fajitas, uh, drank some beer, watched some Shit's Creek. After that game, man, I'm I, I'm just, I'm not even mad anymore. I'm just, I'm frustrated, but I'm not mad, so I live my life. How about you, man? I, I, I'm saying, after that game... I went out, got some Mama Kachinas, had a rigatoni rosa, which is rigatoni brown and a pink sauce with mushrooms, spinach, chicken, and this will be great to you, homemade sausage with mozzarella on top. Sat here with my lovely bride, watched Almost Famous, kept an eye on some of the games. I'm not mad either. And folks, we should be mad. We should be angry right now, but in our... Seven stages of grief, we're, we're past it. Hokies fall, 47-14 to Pitt. And, you know, me and Brian were texting as the game ended and stuff, and it was just like, you know, he texted he was, uh, you know, having this and relaxed. He told him what I was doing, relaxed. Our older, my oldest son, Brian's son, they're over at the in-laws tonight, so – Kind of a free night for us because the little one on weekends here goes down about 7.20. Brian, clearly you have the whole house to yourself to just relax and sort of take it back. Yeah, I'm not. I, we're, we're at the point now where, good or bad, we kind of expected some of the shit we saw today. So, yeah, it, it, it didn't really – it didn't hit like that. I mean, it just it's more reaffirming everything that we kind of thought was already going on and was already trending in a certain direction. This, this one just kind of put, you know, the fucking icing on the cake Um, in, in terms of how bad it was and especially how bad it was in the second half after you played pretty damn bad in the first half, but we're within a shouting distance of saying, well, if we come out, we do all right in the second half, we can make this thing a game. And then you just completely take a dump on the field. Brian, I literally am looking here at my notes, and I wrote at the start of the second half. I made a couple things, and about third line down, I quit. Below <laughs> all, is, 
Below that is what my wife wanted from the restaurant we went to the night, what I wanted, the order number. Um, and then find movie. <laughs> so you were like, I quit, fuck it, take out. What find a movie or red box. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so, and, and now I did not have beers before then, you know. I, because a the last time we had sort of a loss like this, I sat here and drank like you know ten beverages in like ninety minutes, which is not safe. But Brian, I, we're sitting here and we were talking about it before you hit record, and we looked, y'all. This is they talked about eighty last year so much after Duke, after Duke. This was essentially part due of the Duke game. Yeah, over a year later. And me and Brian were looking, and guys, it's easy to figure out, and it, it sort of is a cataclysm of where we are as a program. Since Duke last year, we are 10 and 8. Soon to be 10. In just a few weeks, 10 and 9. If we played like we did today or last mm-hmm. week, or against the Liberty, or against Wake fucking Forest, 10 and 10. And as we were sitting here, could we go through all the plays? Yeah, a lot of things we've seen before, things we've harped on. But what we did tonight is a little different. And we look at what was said after the game by the head coach of the Virginia Tech Hokies, Justin Fuente. We pulled some specific quotes from him that kind of show that he's got to go. He has to go. And talking with Brian tonight, um, we're fifty million in the red, right? Because of COVID. Yep. What's sixty million? I mean, if you're if you're already having to dig yourself out a hole, another you know ten inches isn't going to really make or break you. Nope. It's not. And I think what's going to hurt more is not only the recruiting stuff, but if, if Whit Babcock keeps on, there's going to be shots of that stadium next year where it's 40,000 people. It's going to look pitiful. And from henceforth, and, and really it started before this, but I mean really since Liberty, and now it's only compounded the last two weeks, every day we go – without making some sort of move to a new staff is hurting the Virginia Tech brand, hurting it with recruits, hurting it with donors, hurting it with national perception. And it's something we don't need. It's something we don't need. It's pretty insane to think that Brian, since 1977, 43 years ago, Virginia Tech has had four football coaches. Jimmy Sharp, Bill Dooley, Frank Beamer, Justin Fuente. It is time for the fifth. And and let's start with the first quote, Brian, that just you want you want to talk about like okay, this sort of you want to talk about getting back to the age of anger. I think that got me and you there. Someone, and I, I cannot quote the media member that did it, I wish I could. Um, because we did not Listen to the presser. We're pulling off quotes from Mike McDaniel, Mike Nizolik, Norm Wood, um, David Teal, Mike Barber, all those and guys. Bitter. And bitter. 
first one, Brian. Somebody asked Fuente, would he take over the play calling duty? Legit question, right? He just scored 14 points. He scored 24 points before. A few weeks ago, you scored 16 against Wake Forest. Ready for the ready for the quote, Brian? Let's say it aloud, and then you can just go. No, that's the most ludicrous crap I've ever heard. This staff not get the most out of this offense and not making adjustments fast enough to get the offense comfortable where they can put up consistent points even when they're playing from behind. That's what's ludicrous. That's what's frustrating. That's where we've been as a fan base for a while. I mean, for for all the good and ill that happened last year after the Duke game, there were still moments of, like, head-scratching what the fuck with this offense. And it's reared its ugly head again this year. And it's gotten to a point where loyalty to this man is going to cost Fuente his job. Yes, it is. I mean, that, that's that's the long and short of it. Loyalty to Brad Cornelson is going to cost Fuente his job. Now, Fuente is doing a damn fine job of, of getting himself fired on his own. Yes, he is. But I think without this blind loyalty to someone that is hurting you and ultimately – Again, you're you're getting him fired by making this bad decision. If if you fire him, then he's fired. If you don't fire him and you end up losing games, you're getting fired, and you know who else is getting fired when that happens? Your can I say fucking it? buddy. Can I say it? But yeah. can I say it? who else is hurts? Yeah. I told Brian earlier. Those Shim Blackler, what, 1985, 1986, the team, the team, the team. All Justin Fuente hurting is the team, the team, the team. And I'm not just talking about the players on the field. He's hurting them. He is hurting every single assistant coach on the staff. He is hurting every single trainer on the staff. He is hurting all the recruiting personnel guys. He is hurting the fundraiser folks. He is hurting literally the entire Virginia Tech athletic team. By not letting one individual go, by not essentially saying, I love you as a friend, you can't do that at this level. Brad Cornelson, before Brad Cornelson, before he got hired at Memphis, he was in D fucking two. Yeah. He wasn't he wasn't even at a group of five schools. This is this is not a big time coach that no, you know, is having a bad run. This is a coach that has been propped up by Justin Fuente since he became a Division One head coach. It's fucking true. And man, you know, there's there's these times in your life where it's like, but we we, we did all this stuff. We were super tight, you know, 15 years ago, dude. Me and Brian Siegel have known each other for 22, 23 years. Math right? Yep. Drinks hidden. Has there been times where we've said to each other, dude, you're doing some dumb shit? Oh, yeah. yeah. I can think of one in particular that we won't share on this podcast. <laughs> and that was you to me. I, I'm, I'm going I'm to take the L on that one. <laughs> but you have those conversations. If you, if you truly, deeply, he's your friend, you literally say, I've got to let you go, man. I've got to take things away from you. I need you to grow. Because... I sit here right now, and here's going to be let's let's do this, Brian, real quick. This is unplanned. 
he's saying this is the most ludicrous guy I've ever heard. Okay. I want to start going through the coaches. And I want to start on the defensive side and come through. Will Ryan Smith get another job at a Division One P5 or G5 school if he is let go? I'd say based on the turnover at the position, Ryan Smith has um, done better than his pay this year. All right. Ron Smith, yes. Yeah. All right. Um, let's go next to Tracy Clays. He's done a very poor job with Virginia Tech, but I think his resume, he will get a job somewhere else. All right. Let's go to the defensive line. Let's start with Bill Carolnick. Um, Bill may just get to pick his job. Like there's, there's not going to be <laughs> well, seen already the defensive line without the right people look better. It was one of their worst games, but still what we're six in the country in sacks. And I know that's some linebackers and other things, but a lot of that's attributed to the defensive line. It's not even a question. Um, Daryl Tapp. Of course. Daryl Tapp might be retained just because he's Daryl Tapp. Yeah, and and let's just look at Justin Hamilton. Um, there's not a person, you know, most Virginia Tech fans that me and you communicate with are in the same boat as us. He wasn't ready to do this. He wasn't ready yet. He's trying. He's giving it the effort, but he needed a few more seasons of standing beside a defensive coordinator. You know what he did have. He didn't have that that supervisor. You know, like when in your career, you're like, you think you're ready for something, but most people know you're not quite there. Mm-hmm. And, and you get that interview where they, they give you the interview because they know that you're, you're, you're a fast riser and they want to kind of see where it is. Usually in those cases, though, that person doesn't get the job and they, they end up growing as a result of that because they double down on getting better. This was the opportunity for Jay Ham to double down on getting better, but he was handed the job. <laughs> They're getting the job to double down on getting better, but usually when you get that interview and usually you do a good job, you get pulled in with the, essentially the person way up and they give you all the great feedback, but they also about not long after you're given some extra responsibility. Yeah. So this would probably have been the year if Bud or if we had brought in Barry Odom <clears throat> or someone else where it probably would have been. Freeman. Sorry. <laughs> you're going to get one. I'm going to call the plays, but you're going to design it. Yeah. You're going to be drawing up the plays. You're going to X and O it. And that's what he's missing. Because, again, I mean, you can say from a corporate and sort of institutional type level, that's how it usually works. And it makes sense. He was just, hey, here it is. And I really wish right now they would go back and I'm going to hold tight on something I told you I noticed today. But maybe they should have hired Tracy Clays as the defensive coordinator and let him just say safety coach or co-DCs or some bullshit like that. But either way. All right, let's go to the offensive side of the ball real quick. So, essentially, everyone on the defense, including Justin Hamilton, will probably find a P5 or G5 pretty easily. All right. James Chavez. (laughs) 
Yeah, he's he's gonna get hired. He's gonna get hired real fast. Retain him. Retain him if we don't hire Shane. All right, let's go next. Um, Jafar Williams. I think Jafar would probably find a G five job. I think he could get a P five job. He, that could, he, he could. No, I mean, because th- what he came to us from Maryland, right? Yeah. And he's coached at Rutgers and places like that. So I think he would find somewhere. Um, Because, again, wide receiver, probably, it's not like blowing your mind, but it's not so bad. It's uh, I mean, he taught them some bitches to block well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's going to get hired for that. Listen, these guys can catch. What can they do? Block. You know, I got a call. All right. Um, This is an interesting one. Because he's so tied to the head coach, Adam Leichenberg. Oh man, it's it's tough. Uh, he's done a good job with uh, recruiting, especially JUCOs and transfers. Um, he's done a pretty good job recruiting in general. Yeah. I like what we got out of Herbert this year. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not certain about the. Or to what degree he was controlling the rotation in terms of the depth there, um, because I think we were using Blackshear incorrectly and uh, and not getting Holston and some of those other younger guys reps when we needed them to get reps. True. So I think that's kind of a toss up, but I think just based on the type of of recruiting that he can do and the fact that he's now coached at a position that has had pretty good success at the Power 5 level, he'd at least get a G5 role, if nothing else. He'd definitely get a G5 role. I think it's what you talk about, the JUCO recruiting. That's where a lot of the G5s live. Yeah. I think he needs that up. I think he's found one in a heartbeat. Um, the guy next one will say would probably be a guy that could go to an elite top 15 school, in my opinion, fight, without a doubt. Yeah, Vice is at worst gonna make a lateral move. He's gonna be he's gonna be in an upper mid tier power five job, if not an elite level power five job. I don't even think lateral run. I think he will go up. If if they get fired, he is not retained. And I'm gonna keep saying retained. Because we don't know potentially who could be brought in. They could say, dude, I love your work. I'm gonna get you twenty five thousand extra under me. And I mean the, the the biggest thing is that whoever we bring in is going to be who who do they already have relationships with that they can actually get to come here because you know unless it's a complete philosophical mismatch um I mean if you don't have a no line coach in mind I couldn't you you know, I missed it what what we do what will happen Pull that screen to a tight end in the Rutgers game yes sir one of Mr. Siegel's favorite uh, <laughs> <laughs> Right. Back to Mr. Vice. Sorry, guys. It, it's late. We got Pac-12 after dark. We've got. A, we're watching games. We're. we're yeah, we're I'm, on, I'm, I'm on Pac-12 after dark, so that's why I missed out on the Big 12 action there. All right, Big 10. Sorry. So I think Vice is going up. I think there's enough top 20 schools that if you look at that, you could probably look at their offensive line play and say that they could benefit from them. I think he could land somewhere like that. And then your point being who we bring in the relationships, not only who they have relationships with, do they have any sort of relationships with the current coaching staff. True. So it comes 
to Brad Cornelison. No. No. <laughs> and, it, it's, and, and it's not people say, well, you guys are just busting him because, you know, you think he's the root of all the issues. The issue, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm almost not saying he's the root of all the issues, but he's a guy that has consistently underperformed relative to his charge throughout, I'd say, at least every season, not counting year one. And, I mean, even then, a lot of that was, you know, Gerard carrying a load there and a, a, a more seasoned and very veteran uh, team that Fuente come into. Well, three NFL receivers. Yeah. Don't even, I mean, let's not even joke about that. It's three NFL receivers is one big reason why. Um, and he's the only one. A, he had no previous P5 or G5 experience to this. And somebody, I think somebody will probably come up and say, well, what about Vance Vice? Well, you want to know, because the other guys is kind of documented where they've been, you know, you kind of take a look at Vance Vice and his career. Vance Vice and his career, he was at ULM. He was at Clemson back in the late 1990s. He's been at a few places. And his work is showing not only in recruiting, but also in the development of guys, especially he's going to have a left tackle that's going to be taken in the first round that he can hang his hat on. Yep. Um, so – we literally just went through every member of the coaching staff, and we're literally saying everyone can get hired by a P5 or G5 school except one. And, and people can say, well, he broke all the records here. Don't even get us started on that. Please don't. We've been fans for too long, and we have seen the bad. And the reason he's breaking records is because for years it was bad. It was Terrible. So, yeah. Um, Brian, another quote. <laughs> You're going to love this one, buddy. <laughs> the lack of third and fourth down success. Ready for the quote? Yep. Sometimes that's what happens when you play good people. Yeah. I'm going to need you to take some accountability for that one, boss. Yeah. I'm going to need you to take a lot of ownership because that, that is – that's saying that – I mean, are you going to make that same statement against Liberty? Because, I mean, some of the same shit happened against Liberty. Same against Wake Forest? <laughs> I mean, if, if you're making the argument all – right, all right, let, let's, let's take a, a bird's eye view here. What you're either saying is that, A – you didn't recruit good enough players to beat teams that have mostly two stars. Or you're saying you can't develop these guys. Like, I mean, at some point, just say we fucked up. There you go. And don't don't use the F word because it's a press conference. But say, you know, we fucked up. We didn't do a good job of preparing the, the players before the game, and we didn't do a good job of, of getting them in positions to make plays on key downs. Just well, say it. Well, you want to know that some of the biggest bullshit was we talked about the fourth and more at the goal line, essentially the one that absolutely blew the game wide open. Yeah. 
Well, we've ran that play before, and it's been pretty successful over the last four years. Yeah. Man, you sit here, and you're like, you're at the what? It's the one-yard line, right? Uh-huh. Maybe inside the one. You have Jalen. Jalen's 226 pounds. Jalen's a big son bitch. You've got Juice. You've got guys like James Mitchell, and I know Trey Turner didn't play in the second half. You've got guys like mother, you stupid motherfucker. Pardon my French, because I do think he is a good person. I really do. I think he probably has his flaws, but I think you know overall good person. Again, we are assessing coaching on-field product and mm-hmm. what they're saying and doing as a coaching staff. This is not an indictment on their character. Or, or who they are as a person. It's an indictment on how they are coaching and how they are responding to the coaching that they've done. Let me tell you what Pat Narduzzi said fourth and one. Let me tell you. Yeah. Try to run lead. Everybody just gut. Just go down. <laughs> Crash. Well, Coach, what if they don't? If they don't, it's on me. We, we got a lead. It's on me. <laughs> we are up at that point in time. They've kicked a field goal, so it's 26-14. We're up 12. We've scored on three consecutive drives. I think we're going to keep scoring, guys. It's on me. Crash it. They crashed it. And, Brian, that's the play I told you I was in the car for. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, At halftime – my youngest son went over to our in-laws. I had to help my father-in-law move some furniture. And I got in the car coming back home, and I'm driving down my road here in the West End, and that play happens. And I'm, I, I don't listen to all the radio broadcasts, but when I'm out, I do. If I have to run an errand or, you know, traveling or something, I listen to John Laser, Mike Burnham. And as many times as I've listened to them, and it's not all the time. So there are probably moments where they've sounded. That's the first time I've ever heard Mike Burnup and John Laser sound dejected on the radio. They sounded dejected. Burnham's alumni of that school. Get it for him. Laser's the play-by-play guy who you can feel he's invested a lot of time. He cares about the program. They sounded dejected. Yeah. I mean, at some point when you're predictable, shit like yeah. that happens, man. It's true. I mean, it's one thing to, like, go with your bread and butter, but it's another thing to – like, that. that is an elite defensive front. It is. And you're just – you're going to run your bread and butter play that you know – you know that they've watched hours of tape on this. You know that they are prepared, and you know that they have the ability to make the play if the call is right. So, yep. And well, you talked about the ownership piece. Three of 14 today on third and fourth down. Three of 14. That's been the theme of the season, man. Even even in the the good games. It's damn true. Man. <laughs> it's damn true. And you just wish and said, well, you know, when you play good people, yeah, they're, they're good defense. Narduzzi's a damn good defensive coach. And as much as I hate the son of a bitch, if you told me he got fired from Pitt and our new guy said, well, I'm going to hire Narduzzi, I'd be like, I'm good with that. <laughs> I don't know how we as fans accept him. Be like, yeah, we called you an asshole a lot. And as long as he would be like, yeah, I know I'm an asshole. 
I get it. But you sit here and it's just like it's the same things. It's the the best play of the game. You mentioned it, Brian. The best play of the game was we ran quarterback off tackle. They sucked in and we threw it deep. Yeah. And I think you might have said something was texting me like something about Corn's play call. And I said, fun Corn didn't call that play. Did you see how happy Fuente was on the sideline? Corn didn't call that play. <laughs> Man, and it was a, it was a, that was a good play call. I like the play call. I like the play call in the uh, position that it was. So the the, the, diff, the the position that that was the down distance, how the play was ran. If the throw wasn't there, Hendon was going to get a positive game. He was. It wasn't going to be a big loss. It was like that perfect, what we talked about, second down play calls were going to be key. And I'm not sure if that happened on second down or not. I'd have to go back and look. But we had some terrible second down play calls, which is why third and fourth down looks atrocious. When you can't get yourself in position to essentially get it, or when we got some of those good third and fourth down numbers, we ran some just terrible plays or some predictable plays, and you're just like, yeah, what what can you do about it? So it's frustrating, man. And I mean, we've highlighted it a lot in in games past. So you know, it's it's frustrating that we keep having to have these same discussions every game, win or lose. But mostly, I mean, it's the first time. What, what was the uh, the stat we just saw? First time since '92 that we haven't won a game in November. Haven't won a game in November and will not win a game in November. Yep. That was the that was the last regular losing for twenty eight years. Yep. That it's 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 sad, man. It's 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 sad and it's sad that Fuente has let it come to this before making the types of changes that he would have needed to make to keep things moving forward. Because I feel like, I mean, let's go ahead and let the cat out of the bad man. I mean, this game is definitely a, if it's possible for us to get the buyout, buy that some bitch out. Uh, yeah. Just, just buy. I, I, th- I think we're just, we're beyond the point where we can say, give him one more year. I don't care about the circumstances surrounding COVID. I don't care about any of that shit. We're at the point now where we've seen consistently that these same types of things are happening each week during the season. And even when we win them, we're still seeing some of those negative things rear their heads. Yeah. It's the definition of insanity is what it is. Yeah. We are doing the same thing over and over. And, you know, there are things coming out about stories we're hearing and stuff. Holy crap, what a good play by zero there. Um, and we're seeing some players say things here and there again. Coaching product, what you see on the field, um, the same stuff is happening. And if the same stuff is happening, again, yeah, Brian, dude, you played, you coached, you see things differently, it's great. But when it's – which mean, which, again, it always gives you – a leg up on a common fan like me. I'm grateful to have a friend like Brian Siegel because I can ask questions to anytime I want about football play. Why? He can give me a detailed explanation. 
But when a common fan like me sees it, it's like, dude, those guys, as you just mentioned, are watching hours upon hours upon hours of tape. They have analysts that are watching hours upon hours of tape, documenting small little things, and then to go back and teach. Yeah. And something – I'm, I'm going to make a statement here. Or, we haven't heard it out of certain people's mouths, but we've read it numerous places by numerous people. Jerry Kill said and called out corn, said he doesn't know how to break tape down. He doesn't know how to do certain things. What yep. did he did nothing. And that's detrimental because it's sitting here. It's like, dude, if he's telling you this and you do nothing, because again, like we've said, said it before, Ron, his design, some of his designs are really fucking good. But if he can't read and break down game film, eventually that's going to get to a point when you have to call a play in the game where if you don't do that well, it's going to adversely affect you. And it does a lot. Yeah, I mean, if I've got a lot of good plays in my pocket that I can't call because the other team is stopping them, I've got to think, I've got to, as a coach, know that I've got to do something different. Yeah. And it seems like he doesn't, he's got a lot of good plays against generic defense, but he doesn't have a lot of good plays that will work situationally against the defenses that we play. And I think that's why you see him so slow to make adjustments in games and almost seem like he's kind of beating a dead horse with play calls. Like, all right, this is supposed to work. This is supposed to work. No, it's not not working. Do something different, man. Again, it's why he is not a a D1 head coach or a D1 coach. And and here's another thing. I mean, you know, we, we take a look at, just consistently, like, you know, you said I, I played, I coached. I probably give coaches more leash than your average fan because yeah. I've been there and understand that not every single thing that goes wrong is the coach's fault. I'm not, I'm not going to scapegoat the coach right out the gate. And that's, you know, for good or ill, that, that, that's my situation. Uh, when I, when I look at, when I look at film and when I look at things like that, moment by moment, things can look like execution. But when you start putting pieces together game by game and stacking them, stacking them, stacking them, and you see trends, that's coaching. That is. That's coaching. That's management. Yes. If you continue to see the same trends and the same people, it's – because, because two things are happening. Either you're not doing your job. Uh, putting them in a position to do good things, or you you're not looking at the tape and saying, okay, well we're we're failing at execution here, and you're not drilling it enough in practice where they learn it to the point where they can execute it. It's true, man. I mean, and, and I think that's the bigger point is you're not seeing it and you don't know how to communicate it. And if you're not seeing it, because man, we we worked in situations in our professional lives where. There are people that you, you tell them, hey, this is where the struggles are. Here's some things you can do to fix it. How many people have you seen? And this is all walks of life, all variants of life. You tell them, hey, this is what I'm seeing. And, you know, here's some things you can do better. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, 
I, I don't do this well. And you, you hear them and it's like, yeah. And then a month later, same thing again. It's like, I'm, 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 I'm telling you what you're doing wrong. I'm giving you some advice. It did, if you were asked in, in any, in any part of your life, especially with kids and, you know, younger adults and stuff and like that. Hey, you know, did, remember I said when you, to do that, you should do this. Oh yeah, but I didn't do that. And you're like, well, why not? I don't know. <laughs> no, it's, it's so true. I, I, I remember talking to, I remember talking to some, some relatives about some college work and I kind of said, Hey, you just got to really get yourself on a good schedule. You know, well, I don't like eight o'clock classes. I don't give a shit if you don't like eight o'clock classes. But if your day is, I've got to go to work here and I need to study here, you need to take eight to 11s. Go to work, get your work done, go to the library, get all your work done, then go out and frolic. And if you hear, well, I, I, I took the 10 and I got a two, well, how are you working? Oh, I'm doing this and this. I'm like, you're going to fuck up. <laughs> right? Yeah. And essentially, and it's kind of people, y'all are from some people out there, like, what the fuck are they talking about? But in reality, Jerry Kill and other people that came in has probably said, hey, here's where the screw-ups are. Here's how you can fix it. I have a feeling Jerry Kill looked at Fuente and said, hey, dude, um, you don't have to do it this year, but maybe next year you need to call plays. Because what I'm seeing from Brad, I'm telling him these things to work on a little better to help him get better at. He's not doing it. And I'll ask him after the game, and oh, I just didn't do that. Why didn't I told you to do it? Man, I remember, like, one of my favorite things, because, I mean, we, we ran an offense that was pretty innovative at the time yeah. in Sydney. But one of my favorite things was, like, Monday morning film session when, <laughs> when Marty would, would, would show us plays that we were running specifically for the opponent that we were playing that week. <laughs> and they weren't in the normal playbook. They were some brand new shit. <laughs> and th- that shit got us excited. That, that was something that we looked forward to each week was putting those plays in. And then eventually, you know, you might be able to use some plays you use here on another team later in the year. And, you know, it's nice, but, Having wrinkles every week to keep teams off balance, and I don't, I don't feel like we ever do that. I feel like Brad is stu- stuck in this. We do what we do, shit. Like if if what we do ain't working, that don't do what we do. <laughs> do something different. You gotta make it up. Do something different. Oh, it's just, it's like, <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Stop for a second. Get your hands. I'll get my Genesee here. All right. Let, let's let's chill with the offense. We're, we're, we're probably going to hit that a couple more times. Let's Defense did give up 47 today. They aren't off the hook. But <laughs> here's what really grinds my gears. Here's the quote, folks. And. This is, and I'm going to throw some at him and let Brian go to it afterwards. Eventually, you got to be able to cover and tackle. Well, Brian, the first six possessions, this defense played their fucking nuts off. 
Yeah. They held. They, they, they got off the field when they needed to. They got a turnover. And they forced punts. First six possessions, three field goals, a pick, and two punts. Nine points. We gave them zero support. And, and don't get me wrong. We were sitting here and, you know, we're talking about different things. And one thing I brought up to Brian, and, and if y'all noticed it, please, when, when Brian sends us out Monday, put on there, right after a defensive play called, they showed a picture of Fuente and Hamilton. Hamilton probably about four to five feet to the our left of Fuente. And he's just kind of standing there with his arms folded, not signaling in anything. Doesn't have a play sheet in hand. You even with the mask, you can't unless he's unless he's a very very unemotional talker. Which from the stuff I've heard, Justin is not a very unemotional talker. I don't think Justin Hamilton's calling plays. I, in my heart of hearts, I do not think he's calling plays because I go back to the years you see Bud. I looked at Alex Grinch tonight in the Oklahoma game. I've looked at some of these other guys. Usually defensive coordinators, if they're not directly calling in the plays, they have their unit and other units they're trying to get in position. We saw Bud for so many years giving hand signals, right, giving them hand signals. He's just standing there. I don't think he's calling plays, Brian. It's odd. It's odd that you noticed that. I didn't pick that up, so kudos to you for, for seeing that. Um, I mean, it's it's potentially a scenario that he he, he might not be calling, calling plays at this point. I don't know if that's something that is new um, this week, or if it's something that's been going on, you know, since like a uh, I don't know UNC or you know, whatever whatever the game was when when the duties were pulled. I don't know if it, if that's the case, but you know, we we had heard whispers that that was a potential scenario. So maybe that is something that is happening. Maybe Tracy Clays is calling the defense. Maybe, maybe, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think we should speculate much further past that just because it's nothing is concrete and we don't know what the, you know, machinations on the sideline are really taking place, but it's an interesting thing that to talk about for a little bit there, because that, that kind of, it would say a lot about the situation in general, I think. So, I think Justin Hamilton's a guy who changed position three times in college, who worked his way up from UVA wise back to his alma mater. I think if they had told him, "Hey, Justin, we're going to bring in Tracy. We couldn't get Barry because the money. We're going to bring in Tracy. Um, we're going to name y'all co DCs. Uh, we're going to put your title on it because we feel like you're getting there. We want you really to, you know." You're essentially going to be Tracy's. You're going to be second in command. Um, you're going to be more the rah-rah guy. Tracy's going to be doing play call and stuff. And I, I think that's what it is. Brian, can I ask a question? Yep. How do you feel about tackling today? It was very feast or famine. Um, <laughs> we, we had moments where we looked like a competent team when we tackled. And then we had moments where we just looked like we we didn't know what we were doing. And when we had opportunities, we weren't 
grabbing them by the nuts and, and, uh, and seizing those opportunities. Hey, can, um, I ask, can I ask you another thing? Yep. How do you feel like the sidelines? Oh. Uh, <laughs> are, are we talking about the play? The play, yeah. The play? All right, the play before the one-yard touchdown was about a 13-yard gainer. Yeah. Looked like a just a, just a little wide receiver alert. Uh, saw that we were playing off coverage, which we played pretty much the whole damn game. Um, yeah, we're going to hit that some bitch. Yeah. Um, and, you know, quick alert play, get the ball in the wide receiver's hands. At, right at or just in front of the line of scrimmage. And you had three guys bearing down on him, and somehow he's, like, sideline juking these entire three guys trying to tackle him, and he gets he turns what should have been, like, a four-yard gain into a 13-yard gain that puts them, you know, right at the, uh, the doorstep there. And I'm just looking at myself, I'm like, somebody – attack instead of letting him just dictate the turn you have the sideline attack like you're you're you've outflanked him you've got three guys and you've got the sideline to your advantage hey fuckers what are you doing brian's almost in here saying hey fuckers if he steps out of bounds it's a tackle yeah i'll get credit for it <laughs> he wants to dance just push him yeah, the, the tackling uh, in my notes here, which I've got, again, I stopped halfway through because of the pissed offness and saying bullshit, bullshit. It was, it was, there were times, I mean, Jamari Connor made some incredible open field tackles today. It, it was some incredible, really like man up, using leverage and getting the guy to the right spot. And then there were those, oh, this is going to be like a four yard game to arm, arm swipe. And you're just like, Oh my God! It's the old, it's the uh, what is it? The Jonah Hill from uh, Jonah Hill from Moneyball when he's like, ah, God, you know, Jesus Christ. And 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 Brian, you one of our one of our big keys, one of our biggest keys on Thursday night when we sat here and we talked, you said it's got to be tackling, tackling, tackling. And, you know, it wasn't today. And if you can't tackle, if you can't use leverage, Pitt has enough talent, they're going to beat you. We made Pickett look like fucking Marino today. Yep. Irritates me. The play calls, you know, we blitzed a lot, but there were times we were playing. I still don't get the off plays. There were some off plays where legitimately we were 10 to 12 yards off line scrimmage. Pickett just hot, hot routed, got it out as quick as he could, and they were getting seven, eight yards. Why? Why are we doing that? I mean, when you've got a quarter, like for for the things that Pickett does well, I mean, he's a smart quarterback. He is. He's a smart quarterback. He has a good. He got a. He's got a snap arm too. Yeah. He can get that shit out quick. So you're you're essentially playing into like. Where where Pickett gets in trouble is when is is decision making at times. Like he's a like technically he is a damn fine quarterback. And if you're just gonna give him seven yards, like <laughs> he's gonna take it every time. And if you you couple that with a missed tackle here or there, those are big gains. 
Yes, they are. And then as soon as, you know, that's working, other things start working because everything else opens up and now, you know, defense is focused here and now he's got some other opportunities elsewhere. I mean, we did a decent job in the in the run game, but we just let Pickett tear us up. Yeah, absolutely I mean, tear us up. Some people were pissed about we we gave up 150 yards, but you know I think for me and you, if you said we were at 100, and, excuse me, boys, if we were at 150 yards giving up on the rush, we would have been like, okay, that's fine. Yeah, they're only averaging 104, so we only gave up 40 yards. So you know, on 10 extra carries, that we, we, that's fine. I mean, take it through for 404 today, 70%, eight yards a throw. I mean, Jesus, Lord. Um, and something that some people said, and I'm not sure if this was part of the quotes. I do not have this quoted per the head coach. But, you know, we, we were down two guys. To, and, Brian, you and like, we just had to be very careful. What did you say, Brian? No. No, you don't. What do we Let need the boys to play, man? We Let need play. to nut the fuck nut up. up. Nut the fuck up. I mean, at some point, you know, we, we talked about the do what you do on on offense. I mean, you don't play scared on defense just because you got a couple backups in there. Now, you don't go out there and put them in position where they can get exploited, but you still let them fucking play. Yeah. Like we ebb and flow too much between being way too overprotective and then way too negligent. Like there's got to be some sort of middle ground in there where we can find out and say, okay, well, we're not going to put you out on islands the whole game, but we're still going to let you play football and not be passive. You know, we talked about at least against Miami, we felt like we were dictating terms. We didn't dictate terms today, man. We didn't dictate shit. Uh, by the way, Brian, you said negligent. Can we write that down and send that over to Wit? You know, so we can. <laughs> what? 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 You... <laughs> yeah, I mean that might that might be a clause. There might be a clause yeah. in there. Negligence? <laughs> Contracts. I don't know how you find out. Although, you know, some of the stuff that's been said, like the most ludicrous, is like that's very negligent. <laughs> When you're talking about play calling duties because it's not. <laughs> my, my new one of my new favorite gifts is girl running into brick wall like that's negligent don't tell people to do that that's stupid um but yeah the defense does deserve a brunt they gave up 23 in the first they gave up 24 in the second but when you essentially say well, the first our first six drives we did nothing and they held to nine yeah Give up nine points. I mean, eventually when I mean I was looking at one point um, time of possession. Yeah. I think in the first quarter it was like eleven to four. Like what? Come on. They ended up. It, it ended up like thirty-five to twenty-four. Like thirty-five and a half to twenty-four and a half. So they dominated time of possession. Absolutely dominated. It's just, I mean, for a team that is a running team. It should at least be even, right? Right? I mean, it be. and it's been like that way. Um, yeah. So you, you kind of sit here and kind of the last piece we're gonna hit tonight, folks. And by the way, Harbaugh is gonna be walking away at the end of the season, but they pull out the win over Rutgers. 
Tennessee Volunteer fans, if you know any in your family, ask them how pissed they are about not hiring Chiano. <laughs> Ron says there's one person they can directly blame for that. Yeah, I mean, you know, Clay's Travis had that uh, that whole campaign against hiring Shiano in uh, in Tennessee, and in hindsight, that's looking like a bad call there. You know, I mean, Shiano's landed on his feet, has been competitive in the Big Ten right away, right out the gate, and yeah. meanwhile. Tennessee is still flailing despite pulling in some pretty decent recruiting classes and already having a fairly talent rich program to begin with. So uh, yeah, sorry, Tennessee fans, you know, you much like, you know, a lot, a lot of times it happens, you kind of fed into the bullshit and, uh, and let a good one go away there. And I'm looking at Tom Allen doing the, the post-game speech. I have not heard it. I've only seen it because every time it's been up, it's been muted. Give me a coach like that. Give me a coach like that, that you saw how the adjustments were made today. They were getting, they were down 21 in the first half. They made adjustments both sides of the ball. And I'll say it. Well, I want to draft, and people can laugh at me and say, <laughs> The draft has been brought up, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, listen, I'm still going to rank. We're going to just replay that one next year. Um, no team's quarterback should throw three picks and be up over 21 points. No team. That tells me you have way too many good people on your team. All right, all right. Last quote. Last quote. It's fun about doing Saturday night and drinking and watching football. Last quote he said, <clears throat> and I'm Brian, I'm sure you're going to light this one up because you brought it to my attention and <laughs> sound like you were happy as you were reading it aloud. I don't know that anybody understands how hard this is, not talking about the last three weeks, but going back to the spring. Every program in the damn country is dealing with this shit. There are certain, you know, one or two things here or there that are specific to the Virginia Tech program, but everyone's been struggling with this. I don't want excuses. I don't, I, I, we're not at a point where excuses work. This is year five. I don't want excuses. I want ownership. Get, take, take ownership. I, I would much respect that whether, you know, whether, whether we're able to buy you out or not. Don't go out sad not taking ownership of the situation and saying, well, COVID and everything that we've been dealing with with COVID. And that, that, that's my best Fuente impersonation there. I don't, I, I'm not as good as uh, – who is it on the on Packer and Durham that does it? Is it, is it Packer? No, no, no. Uh, yeah, no, no, it's Packer. It's not, Dur- it's not Durham. It's Packer. Okay. Packer nails it. Yeah, so, you know, that, that, that was my best. I'm not as good as Packer, so – I'm gonna leave that to him going forward. Yeah, no, just take ownership. I mean, you're, you're not you're not teaching your players to handle the situation right. The fan base is tired of it. The donors are tired of it. I mean, at some point, you just gotta say, you know what? We didn't do our jobs well today, and we put our kids in places where they couldn't make enough plays. Yep. And to Hendon Hooker, and Hooker got Hooker got a little little uh, chippy dude we support you we want just you guys to be put in the best possible positions to win because you 
the the entire team we have is a talented bunch of guys. Yep. And I mean, I'll, I'll say this: we're 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 gonna rock with you the rest of the way. Damn right, I'm not gonna. In two weeks when we play Clemson, which is potentially gonna be an eight o'clock night game, Jesus Lord. Oh, um, it, it might get really ugly. We'll be here talking about it, maybe in a catatonic state, but we're rocking with you. I'm not turning off the TV. And if you're a Hokie fan, you shouldn't because the more viewers helps drive the revenues, help gets yeah. the money. I will say this, people that are talking about, well, I don't want to give up donations. And I don't want to donate again. And, you know, cause if he's there, that's not going to help the program in the long run. What you need to do is when you, as you've seen numerous people on Twitter do when they do their donation, fire the coach. This has to be. Email the AD. Things like that. You know, we don't have the money to to make that truly, you know, the one that can really knock it off. But the thing is, those small donations can add up. Well, those small donations are going to help the next staff that comes in, right? Yep. So, you know, in terms of getting the $10 million, that's that's going to be something that's going to happen between donors and board, and board of visitors and things like that. That There's going to be very few individual efforts on the, the average fan that's going to help that. But the average fan is going to help build that scholarship fund Yep. for the recruitment for the next guys that are going to be coming in uh, on that staff. So, Can I ask you a question, Brian? Yeah. Does Witt have to look at them and say, infrastructure be damned? There's some things we want to do, but to get there, if we don't stop it here, it's not going to be there. It's going to be significantly further down the road until we can get it done. I mean, you got, you got to start weighing your options. Um, you know, we can talk salary pools and we can talk this, that, and the third. And I think until we make the decision on Fuente and see kind of what's left after the uh, the dust settles, you know, I think it's going to be hard to roadmap what that's going to look like. Um, obviously, in a perfect world, we'd want the salary pool to go up a little bit because that does help entice better talent to come here in terms of coaching and it does give you more flexibility to work contracts if you have a, a specific hire you want to make um now i don't want us just throwing big bucks at any anybody's name just to get them to come here that's not what i'm saying that's not what virginia tech should be doing that's not a good use of resources but i don't want us to have to say tell barry odom we can't you know, match 850,000 and let him walk when, as long as we work the rest of the salary, right, we can make that work. Yep. Hey, Brian, real quick, let's hit this. Um, all right. Let's go back in order. Teams that are above us. If, if things hold, if we're seeing happen right now, that either people are going to step away, get fired. All right. So, I think top of the pecking order, and there's two. Um, and you can people can say what they want to say about one of these two, but one of them is not even a doubt. I don't think it's going to happen. Michigan's above us. There is no question about that, right? Yeah. 
Okay. I mean, from 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 everything they can offer, yeah, they're above us. All right. Two, Texas. Yep. And the reason I will put Texas of Michigan above Texas, and even people can say, well, Texas has more money, better facilities. Michigan has actually, even though they're two and three this year, the years before this, they have proved the exception of playing Ohio State. They can be damn near anybody. I mean, they they can they they win games. They just don't win games at the clip that everyone expects them to relative to their talent. Yeah, like you know, they they lose one to three games a year most years. They're they're usually not staring at anything worse than a nine win season most times. Um, Whereas you know we're we're becoming more accustomed to, um, you know, eight win seasons, seven win seasons. It's kind of getting a little. A little frustrating there. And then you look at Texas where they've really ebbed and flowed between um, – they're really oscillating between a decent season to a very subpar season for them. They're, they're actually, in terms of average wins, they're kind of right there with us. Um, it's true. Over, it's over, the, over the last five. Um, and even counting the, you know, the Herman years here. Exactly. All right. Do you think the third in this situation is Penn State, right? I mean, they're only five. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they're going to kind of chalk this up to a – it was going to be somewhat of a rebuild this year on top of the COVID stuff. I don't know if they're just going to punt it one year or if they're going to make a move based on this um, somewhat downward trajectory of the program. Especially like again, their their problem and you know again Michigan's problem and Texas's problem and it's a problem that we're you know we don't necessarily have is that you know they are getting those top fifteen top ten recruiting classes at those institutions and still seeing average to sometimes slightly above average sometimes below average outputs on the field um, you know for all the ill that we're seeing this is really the first. Bad. Way, way under expectation season. Um, I think 2018, we knew it was going to be some pains. We just didn't know how bad they were going to be. This year, I mean, the based on the original schedule, we, we were pretty much 10 wins or bust. Yep. So what we're seeing right now is completely unacceptable. So that's where we are, and I think that's where some of those other programs are at this point as well. All right. There are two more that I think are above us. Okay. Um, and they are very likely to fire their coaches. Who you got? You put four and five on the number. Nebraska, Tennessee. Who's four? Who's five? Um, I think you still got to put Tennessee four. Okay. So Tennessee four, Nebraska five. Where do you um, put uh, SC? South Carolina? Yeah. I think they're on the same plane with us. Yeah, I agree. I think them, they're on the same plane as us. And people can say, well, they have more money. They have, the facilities are very similar. Um, but I think we have, I think we have an easier track to play championship games than they do. You know, it's one of those things. They almost need a South Carolina alum to come back more than anything because, again, you have to look south. Yeah, because at this, at this point, you know, we, we look at – any coach that's looking at paths to a championship game will see Virginia Tech 
as a much easier path to a championship game as the conference is currently constructed than than South Carolina. It's not even a question on that. It's not even a question on that. And you've got, like, you know, your West Coast, you've probably got, like, um, Stanford. Stanford is a beast of its own. That's not even anywhere near us. Arizona probably letting their coach go. Um, SEC Vanderbilt's probably going to be letting Derek Mason go. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about another thing that was like, in, in terms of the Pac-12 at least, I mean, a lot of the guys that are going to be considerations out there are probably not going to be coaches that are on our radar just because of, you know, recruiting footprint that they're accustomed to and systems that they run and things like that. So I just think the guys that are going to be the big-time candidates for them are going to probably be maybe those Big 12 guys, maybe some of the, the G5 schools further out there. Um, in less, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The guy from Boise State, if like UCLA or Arizona or Stanford don't call him, they're losing their damn minds. Yeah, you're looking at probably Mountain West guys and stuff like that, not so much. But still, you're going to look at G5. You're going to look at P5, excuse me. You're still going to look at P5 and say, where do you rank? Um, and, again, it's a little different. But if you told me a guy from the Big 12 – got offered Stanford and got offered Virginia Tech, I would say he'd look and say I'm coming to Virginia Tech because academics, I don't have to worry. It's better facilities. It's more coaching pool. Um, it's a pretty good regional footprint. Yes, Stanford is the whole state of California, but the state of California is essentially Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and the top part of Florida. So essentially you're still getting a very – good recruiting base here. So, yeah. So, you know, those essentially, so I feel there are five schools above us. Um, and if you ask me now, stand to God, I think, I think Urban Meyer is going to go to one of those schools. I'm not going to say which one. I think he's going to one of those schools. I think his defensive coordinator is going to one of those schools. The two of the three guys we talked about are out. Um, and I get an eerie feeling that the guy at Liberty is going to go to either South Carolina or Tennessee. I think Freeze would fit in well at Tennessee. Oh, God, he would. Especially being from Tennessee. Oh, yeah. And I know you can say, you know, you know, oh, well. You know, didn't they have issues with Farmer and shit? And it's like, well, who gives a fuck about that, man? That dude wants to get back to the top level of coaching, and Liberty ain't going to get it, man. So, yeah. All right. South Carolina loses again, even after they fire Muschamp. Boise State's up by 17. What's our, what's our, what's the, what's our game breaker going here with uh, USC Utah? Because we're both, we have the we have matching records today, y'all, and the winner of or I can only catch you if UFC wins, right? And takes the three. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So we're either going for me pulling up a pretty good uh pretty good week or pretty much a push for. <laughs> or push for like, what 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 did we say we're doing with FSU uh, Clemson? We both won. <laughs> Prime's going to sit here and there's no game 0 0, give him 35 and a half. I'm going to be like, FSU fucking quit. Yeah. 
right, is there anything else that has been breaking other than our fan base losing its collective minds tonight? Man, it's it's, it's another example of losing to a team that we're better than on paper. And that's the frustration, man. And, and, and you know, that's why they don't play football on paper. Unless you're playing paper football. In which case, you're kind of playing with paper. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> hey, you're playing with paper, but if you get better paper quality, you know, the person clicking it still is more responsible than the actual paper. There you go. Somebody who's automatic can be given shit paper and beat the better paper quality guy. Hey, we're somehow tying in real world physics and paper physics. Here we go. This is what happens. This, this is what you guys come here for. <laughs> what happens when you guys hear us late drinking, watching football? Hold that seven point lead, USC. <laughs> hold it. Let's get a pick here, you. All right. Well, Brian, if that's all we got, because it was a lot, that's going to wrap this episode up of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Follow us on Twitter or Facebook. Subscribe for the podcast on your favorite source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. We always let our buddy Jason Long play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. Regardless of outcome, regardless of the coach, as always, let's go. Okies.